Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. friend Kevin Hinckley is here with me. He's up here in Utah for Chris, for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So Kevin, thanks for flying in just for this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you came here, right? Let's assume that's what it is. Absolutely. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. You know, Kevin and I have done some work together. We were both in private practice in the Dallas area for quite a few years and kind of worked off and on with each other. We taught a few classes together. Kevin, do you remember that awesome Mediterranean cruise? <sighs> We did. We had a chance to do the journeys of Paul, and uh, and go to places like Rome and yeah, yeah absolutely. That's that is one of my favorite memories for sure, and especially being with you and, and Cindy, Kevin. I know you've been in private practice for over thirty years. Is it actually closer to forty years now? It's it's pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think that far. Yeah, but absolutely, yeah. So this is a kind of a fun little fact, but you know, Kevin and I are working together in Dallas. We actually decided that we were going to have our own radio show, and we we approached a radio station. Kevin, you'll have to tell me what you remember about this, but I remember they were willing to give us a Sunday slot. I think it was like 5 a.m., and then 5, <laughs> yeah. five or 6, yeah. when, when nobody was going to be awake. <laughs> yeah. and, and then they were going to charge us a couple like, of thousand? A couple of thousand a month, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to do this uh, free radio show anyway. And we said, yeah, uh, no. Yeah, we. Uh, so this is... This is why this is cool today, because we now we get to have our own little uh, radio show, but uh, with everyone out there listening. So let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. He's a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. He's written several books, in fact, six. One of them includes Promptings or Me, which is one of my favorite books, Burying Our Swords. Kevin, what's Burying Our Swords about? That's actually a, it's a, an allegory about uh, actually working with uh, kids that have uh, strayed yeah. How do we uh, bury our own uh, painful swords and be able to reach out to them in love uh, and not out of anger, or not out of hurt, Right. which is not easy to do. And The, hus- the Husband Whisperer is probably a book that my wife needs, right? <laughs> it, it should be The Spouse Whisperer, but yeah, we'll go with The Husband Whisperer. Yeah. Well, I know that Kevin has presented at Education Week uh, for many years. In fact, I remember... Uh, one of our first times up there together, we actually presented together. We did. It was really fun. We did. Kevin, you do a lot of tours. Tell us about that just for a second. Well, one of the fun things I get to do is probably the best gig going is yeah. that uh, get to be able to lead uh, LDS tours uh, in, all over the Mediterranean and uh, been to Israel a couple of times this year. and uh, it's just it's just a fantastic experience. But when we do something like you and I did, where we're doing the journeys of Paul, and we get a chance to stand in Corinth, and we stand in F- F- Ephesus or Athens or something like that, and you get to follow where Paul was, but it just makes the New Testament jump. It it really does. I'll never forget being in Corinth and uh, looking out there over the Mediterranean Sea and thinking, now this is cool. Yeah, awesome. I can get used to this, right? Yeah, it is. Kevin uh, also teaches an adult institute class in uh, Plano, Texas uh, to adults, which is wonderful. 
Uh, has this a, was your old class, by the way. Yeah, you, you know what? I, I one of the one <laughs> things I envied was your <laughs> was your class, and uh, then when you came to BYU, you were nice enough to let me take it over, and we've continued to keep it going. Well, I you know one, one of my favorite things about that class is that when we started off in 1999, there were I think 12 women there, and in it the just has kept, society room, yeah, kept growing, right? And it now has. you're in the chapel, and it just fills up, and it's what a great opportunity there. Yeah. Um, so Kevin's in private practice there in, the, in Plano, Texas. He's a proud smoke master, spending a lot of free time grilling and cooking, and uh, Kevin and Cindy have uh, four children, 12 grandkids, and I've got written down here one really obnoxious cat. <sighs> Gotta have that obnoxious cat. Yeah, I hope the cat doesn't interfere with your, your, your barbecue in any way. No, she likes food, though. <laughs> well, Kevin, let's, let's get into some of our questions here. Uh, you've been in private practice. You've been in the field of mental, mental health for many, many years. Uh, what would you say has changed in terms of just the illnesses, the challenges, some of the, some of the, the disorders and the struggles that, that people are encountering now compared to 25 or 30 years ago? You know, Mark, and I think you're probably seeing the same thing in, in your practice. Every generation says, well, that younger generation, they've got this problem or they got that problem. And right. our generation didn't do that. But the level of uh, anxiety among especially our 20-something uh, uh, group, right. uh, those that are trying to serve missions, is just skyrocketing. And, yeah. and I don't know if, if in some ways the way that we're handling things is leaving them a little less prepared or society is harder on them, but there just seems to be more in terms of anxiety, more in terms of uh, struggle to even kind of get started with uh, with life and uh, launch. I, I, you know, yeah, yeah, they're having a hard time launching. Uh, yeah. Right now, I work in a YSA uh, bishopric, and I would say maybe somewhere between a quarter to a third of our YSAs don't drive. Most of them don't. A lot of them don't have driver's licenses, or they're and, and so they're kind of dependent. They're still trying to get going, but it, you start talking to them and anxiety ends up being one of those big issues. So. You know, that's really interesting you say that because I don't know, Kevin, if you're familiar with Jean Twinge's book called iGen. I love that one. Yeah. yeah she, she one, was, of, one of the things she talks about is that uh, our youth today are, are waiting to get their driver's licenses now. And I, I remember, and you may remember this too, but when I was 14, 15 years old, we were trying to Sneak the car out and back it up and down the driveway, right? Mark, on my 16th birthday, I was sitting in a car with the drivers. Yeah. I, I had to pass that thing. That's right. I'm 16. I want it now. And they, they don't, they, they struggle to do that. Not as, not as uh, anxious, right? To not, maybe that's not the right word, but not as... Not as willing and, and to get going. To, yeah. Once again, kind of this idea to launch. And so, yeah. and Kevin, that's what I've seen as well. I, you know, that the uptick in anxiety... When I first started in the early 1990s, it was depression by far. I mean, yep. that was yep. that was so prevalent. But yes, now anxiety for sure, right? I mean, that's yeah. so prevalent. Well, I was going to share this with you. According to CDC data, so the CDC, Centers of Disease Control, about 32% of teenagers will have an anxiety disorder, 38% for the girls, 26 for our boys. The COVID effect has been incredible. Increasing anxiety among teens, 93.6%. Yeah. Astronomical. And so, Kevin, when it comes to the prevalence of anxiety, you know, what have you, you know, you kind of have spoken to that, but just maybe the COVID effect a little bit. Speak to what you've seen with 
adults and teens just the last couple of years? You know, we had, a, and, and we'd probably do a whole other uh, episode <laughs> on this one, and that is the, the effect of screens, uh, online gaming, yeah, uh, and, and those kind of, and smartphones and all of that. The effect all of that's had on the inability to connect with people, the inability to, to get into problem-solving situations and trust that you can solve a problem. Right. Uh, and so as anxiety rises, they were already struggling. Then COVID comes along and they spent two years not connecting behind a screen. Isolated. Isolated, right? whether they were in school or whatever else that they were doing. And it just seems to have exacerbated uh, that isolation right? Uh, so that they're separated from each other. And then if you're going to try and put them together, now they're going to have greater anxiety because they don't know how to handle yeah. what they're looking at. Right. And I I saw that too, just, just the isolation and the more time on the internet now because they were doing all their homework on the internet. And, and uh, anyway, so I hope that we're coming down from that right now, but we certainly saw that uptick. I think we're seeing the long-term effect of that. Yeah. I think it's, it's the hangover. And I like, I like your pointing out kind of the COVID effect because I think we're, we're seeing what happens next after, yeah. after COVID. Right. And the post-COVID era. The post-COVID so that they went through that experience. In some ways, they were traumatized by that. But again, now they're coming into their 20s and they're less able to, to uh, figure out what's going on around them. And right. at the very same time, uh, parents, I think, have become much more uh, overprotective. Yes. Uh, the, and, uh, I like to talk about a lot about doing collaborative parenting, where you're going to teach them how to problem solve uh, and work along with them to decide what the solutions are. And what you're getting from the COVID era is, is, a, is an attempt to be more top-down. Yes. More controlling. So whether it's... More helicopter. Yeah, whether it's more about pornography, so I'm going to lock down all the phones and then be surprised when they get to college and they have problems yeah. with that, where they never had a chance to do it, or just simply I'm going to be checking their grades every day, or I'm going to be, you know, I'm more worried about them as a, as a parent, and so they end up being more enabled and less capable. Yeah, yeah, that's so true, so true. All right, well. Next question, just uh, share with us, share with us, because not everyone uh, is able to label or explain some of the anxiety symptoms that they feel. In fact, I'll I'll have students at BYU that will say, "Oh, hey, I'm really sorry that I didn't uh, take my final. Right. I had a panic attack." And yes. I'll say, "Wait, you had a pan? What what happened?" And they'll say, "Yeah, I just I just was really busy." You know, like, yeah. Okay, that's not a panic attack. That's a panic attack. You're you're on your way to the hospital, but. But what are some of the common symptoms of anxiety that you see among a lot of our good LDS people that you work with in Texas? I, I think if uh, I heard a I heard a uh, researcher the other day suggest that when we talk about stress and we talk about anxiety, but she she said that stress is just another name for fear. Yeah, we're, and and we're afraid of that. And I like the idea of being able to frame anxiety as a fear, because then that means that. Uh, there's two, there, you're, you're dealing with two separate processes that interact. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you and I both know is that any kind of statistical analysis says that the best way to treat anxiety is with a cognitive behavioral right. approach. 
Well, if you take the behavioral piece of that first and work backwards, that means behaviorally, physically, something's happening. Right. And what, what's happening is, is that when I come in contact with something that is fear-producing that I see as a threat to me, it fires off the amygdala in my yeah. brain. And as my amygdala is... Uh, Bringing out those chemicals, right? <laughs> it's hating what's going on, and it does. It's going to go right down to the adrenals and start pouring pouring and dripping adrenaline into the system. Because the bear is now chasing you, right? The fight <laughs> or flight, the bear here, is chasing here it comes. you. So I'm going to do that, and that means that my heart is going to start to race, my blood pressure goes up, the blood is flowing to the big muscles of my body, uh, the, uh, uh, it's shutting down my uh, digestive system, my immune system, uh, on and on and on. And so there's a, whether, whether I, what I'm worried about is rational or irrational. Yeah. Whether it's a bear or just being embarrassed. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know. Um, my heart is pumping faster. Yeah. The blood is leaving the frontal lobes of my brain where I do all my thinking to run all of this physical stuff going on. So now I have brain fog. Yeah. Or I can't remember my name when I'm sitting in an exam. Uh, or I'm trying to say no to somebody who's being predatory or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it, it impairs our ability to function uh, to the point that our body re is really in a stress response. And then, as you know, then we're going to do, we've got the four, we're going to do fight or flight, we're going to freeze or appease. Yeah. One of those four to try and deal with that. Uh, and that's, that's just the physiological part. Right. That's where you and I spend some time with people and teach them how to diaphragmatically breathe and relax and warm their extremities and a lot of things that we do to try and help reverse uh, this autonomic nervous system. Yeah. I see a lot of people, you know, definitely like you said, with the digestive issues, people have headaches. Yeah. You know, when you talk about some of the physical symptoms, sometimes they get dizzy. Uh, but cognitively... It's just this constant flow of worry that they can't shut off. Yeah. And and the amygdala can't tell the difference between a bear walking in the <laughs> in the room or the fact that it's just simply embarrassment. Yeah. All it knows is it's a threat and it responds to each one. So I guess that's one of the reasons why I like seeing anxiety as a fear. And as long as you see it as a fear, then you can spend some time on the cognitive side trying to decide... I really reacted. Was that really rational? Right. You know, I'm, I get anxious when I'm flying on a plane. In reality, what are the chances right. that the ride to the airport was more dangerous <laughs> the <laughs> the, actual flight than the actual flight? <laughs> but my brain is still freaking out and my heart is still pounding. Right. So that's where, that's where we spend the longest period. I can teach people how to breathe quickly and, and have some limited success on that. But the long term is when they start living in the past worried about things or living in the future, what might happen, and their brain's reacting to it. Right. You know, as you think about some of the factors that contribute to anxiety, especially with our LDS community, mm -hmm. as you see it, Kevin, what are some of those factors? And I know that there's that's varied. I mean, that's going to depend on so many variables, so to speak. But what do you, is there some common threads there that you see in terms of contributing factors to anxiety boy i'll say and that's one of the reasons why i think it helps to have, have to work with somebody uh that understands lds values and culture yeah uh because it's such a big deal because part of that sometimes is uh as we all know 
we struggle with perfectionism in the church a lot. I'm trying to somehow save myself by making sure I tick all the boxes. Right. And worried if I'm hitting them all. Or I'm, I'm thinking that I'm going to live in some kind of sad heaven because I will make it to the celestial kingdom. My kids will be stranded in another kingdom. <laughs> right. So I'm worried about what they're doing. Sure. Uh, all that. And so some of our, 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 uh, if, if we're, if we're emphasizing coming down hard on the justice and obedience side, and we're forgetting the, the love and mercy and grace yeah. of a loving father in heaven, who's a parent who is quick to forgive and quick to want to help us. Sometimes in our anxiety and fear, we double down on on that obedience, uh, somehow trying to save ourselves in a way, and and rather than relying on the mercy and love of of the Savior, uh, and la- allow our brain to rest and relax uh, on on what it is that that you're trying to do there. Again, if we look at this idea of the perfectionism that I think is based sometimes in our culture, which is which is funny, Mark, yeah. without without getting too far into the theology of the thing. Yeah. Um, our, our theology is based on the fact that we have a, a loving parent in heaven that loves us and wants to help us. Right. Um, but, but the culture around us is so bound up in, we got to be right. We got to be perfect. We got to be good. And we're being watched right. constantly. Um, one of the, the uh, Jana Reese in her uh, recent uh, study on uh, those that have left the church and the, and uh, those that struggle, a lot of times for men, it has to do more with historical issues and things like that that cause okay. them to leave. Sure. Women, the number one reason is feeling judged. Okay. And, wow. and, and so you have a buildup of anxiety about what people are thinking of me or what I think of me or what I'm thinking they're thinking of me. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. And, and so that, that perfectionism drives how I'm viewed, what my image is, uh, and, what, and what the image of my kids is to those in the ward and those around us in the sure. culture. So oftentimes I think people are, the anxiety is coming not from the gospel, but from the culture. Right. Or how they perceive a ward and how it... The gospel it, culture, it, for sure. It functions. And those cognitions, though, ha- hit our brain with the same power as the bear running it's the bear. Right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I, You know, and I also see, I mean, there's no question today that we live in a world with unprecedented stress, right? And it's some call it the global village, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that with the news, with social media, just... Yeah. Things that uh, that are disturbing are in front of us all the time, but then we have major workloads. We have children. We're running them to every activity in town. Uh, there's an expectation for them to perform well in school, make good grades, get a scholarship. Anyway, so regarding stress, what are your thoughts? But, but Mark, that's why that's why I like what I said before, and that is that if we see stress as another name for fear, right. Then I think we have a chance when we start talking about the cognitions. What is it I'm really afraid of? Well, you know, I'm having a lot of stress, a stressful week. I've been really stressed. What are you afraid of? And if you see it as fear, then you've got to go back and say, is the thing that I was really afraid of, is that rational? Right. And sometimes we're going to look at it and go, no, it's actually kind of dumb. (laughs) Or the chance of that happening is so minute that we have a chance to drain some of the energy out of those cognitions. 
if you see it as fear. Yeah. If you just see it as stress, it's like, well, everybody's stressed. Yeah. No, I love that. Idea of what are you afraid of? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, that reminds me, and you can relate to this, but, and I haven't dealt with this up here in Utah, but I dealt with it in Dallas a lot. I called it weather related anxiety, <laughs> but I had actual clients in my office in McKinney, Texas, that knew for sure that a tornado was going to come because we did live in Tornado Alley. That's right. Yeah, and it was it was going to hit their house, and it was going to kill everyone in there. And I would have to take them through an exercise of even doing some research and showing them that there has never been a tornado in Collin County, Texas, you know, that has been more than an F2 or whatever right, in history. Right. But, but they just were convinced that not only would the, would the tornado come, but it would come to Dallas, it would come to McKinney. No, it would come to their subject. Subdivision. No, it would come to their house. That's right. And then you would take them through that exercise of realizing how yeah. ridiculous that was to think that. Well, way, but right? then the next step would be, and everybody in my family would die. Yeah. Except yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd be stuck. And, with, and I'm going to have to live with the fact that I wasn't watching the weather. <laughs> I, right. did, I didn't react. We, we, we didn't put that extra layer, you know, so somehow everybody died and it was my fault. It was my fault. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and once again, we laugh about it now. And you look back and I just think that these people were so disturbed about it and they actually lived in that fear. And it's right. to them, it was very real, right? And uh, well, their heart was still pounding. Yeah. And their muscles were still contracting. But it, was based, but it was based on an irrational right. uh, cognition that was driving the fear. Exactly. Well, here's another just quick question. I don't think we had to take too long on this one. But, you know, when, when we talk about the anxiety umbrella, we have a lot of different categories of anxiety that falls under that everything from from OCD to you know panic attacks and Kevin what do you you know when you think of these different types of anxiety what are the ones that you probably see the most would you say most of it is generalized anxiety mm -hmm. or do you, are you seeing more OCD scrupulosity what are you seeing in your practice wow yeah yeah panic attacks yeah all the above yeah <laughs> well really and like you touched on the scrupulosity thing that's a growing deal. Yeah, that, that that is certainly out there. People trying to be better, and then they're afraid that. I, I heard years ago a, uh, a Catholic priest who was working with a within a uh, convent, and yeah. he said he spent all day listening to nuns who had to come in and confess that they'd had an improper angry thought about another another one of the sisters right yeah and he says like death by a thousand knives yeah <laughs> because every little thing drove them so with so much anxiety right um so i think i think we see that i think there's a lot of fear but you, you mentioned earlier even the fear of the world if we're going to turn on the news we're going to see how many kind of mass shootings or what's going to happen with you know war or what's happening in the political system uh, regardless of which side of the political spectrum, that it's being taught to us by people whose job is to get us interested by scaring us to death. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if we're somebody, for instance, that listens to a lot of cable news, again, it doesn't matter which one, you're going to hear a lot of fear-producing... Fear-mongering. Fear-mongering right. to get you to stay reading, to get you to stay listening. Right, right. Uh, which again, then you're going to try and then carry out and now live your daily life with this threat hanging over you. Sure. And so I see, I would say I see a lot of generalized anxiety, probably more than anything else. Yeah. But Kevin, let's talk about scrupulosity for a minute. You mentioned that that's climbing, that's escalating. We're seeing more of it. 
Maybe you can describe a little bit to our uh, listeners what what scrupulosity is. Yeah, that's a tough one because, again, in a culture and a society where we're going to try and be the best we can be and we're going to try and repent and, and all those kind of things, scrupulosity is when you get this unnatural level of fear about your own uh, spiritual well-being. Yeah. Um, and w- one of the things that I keep trying to explain, uh, uh, President Oaks years ago talked about the fact that uh, arriving in the celestial kingdom is, a no- is not about what we've done. Right. It's about what we've become. Sure, you bet. So over, over time, it's not a matter of trying to stack up enough meritocracy I've, I've done enough or I've ticked enough boxes or something. It's about what the atonement does to us in terms of changing our nature, changing who we are, and that slow transformation until we can live comfortably in the presence with our heavenly parents. And if we can if we can get people to kind of back off kind of this drivenness around obedience and, and look towards letting the Savior change our hearts, change who we are, then I think we're a little more patient with ourselves. We're, yeah. we're willing to take on His grace. Yeah. Where before we say, I don't need His grace yet. I've got to make sure that I do my temple work and i got to do everything else, and then I will I will then utilize the God of the gaps. Right? Yeah. You know, where yeah. He'll, he'll, he'll fill in all these missing pieces that I didn't do, but I've got to do about 90%. I was on my 100-point checklist, yes. right? Yes, and then when I'm failing, I can't turn to the Savior yet. When We're not trying to walk towards the Savior. The Savior is walking with us. Right on this path. Let's take. Let's go that direction just for a second, because one of my thoughts. First of all, I don't believe that depression or anxiety are mental illnesses, and I I see a lot of people that feel like they've been framed almost. That okay, yeah. now I'm mentally ill, right. and and I help. I try to help people understand. You have a mood disorder. Okay, this is not a mental illness, but on another level, to me. Anxiety is really a spiritual issue in so many ways. It's a faith issue. And when you start to talk to someone about that, they get a little bit uncomfortable. And I would never want anyone to think uh, that we're attacking a testimony or saying something to the effect of, okay, you just don't believe enough. But what people with anxiety often think is they believe in all the principles of the gospel. They believe in the atonement. They just don't believe it for them. You know, they don't have that that kind of faith, but uh, for themselves. But on a spiritual level for a minute, you know, Kevin, talk about maybe some spiritual interventions for anxiety. What are some things that the gospel can provide to give us strength, fortify us, and help us manage this? Well, one of the things that happens, I think, with anxiety, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, addictions, um, marital conflict, to me, all of those are what I call spirit blockers. Yeah. They... they they stand in the way of me being able to hear what the spirit has to say to me. But when I've got, when I'm struggling with anxiety and I'm in fight or flight or appease mode, I, I can't hear the spirit really well. It's, it's like I close the window and the sunlight can't get in. Right. But then on top of that, especially if you have a little scrupulosity going, not only am I depressed or anxious, but God doesn't love me anymore either because I'd never feel the spirit. Wow. And, yeah. and trying, to, trying to step backwards and say, wait a minute, wait, wait. You know, if you will get calm, if I can help you relax, if I can help you be at peace. Yeah. Now you're not only that, you're going to hear the Spirit in a way that you haven't before. And sure. then you're going to get the guidance and direction that you need about what to do in your life. But if they're, 
But the problem with those kind of depression or, again, addiction or, or something like that, it means that I don't hear the Spirit, and then I'm going to blame myself for that, um, and now I get kind of this distance from God, and then I'm more anxious. You know, yeah. I, I might have a, I might have a uh, serotonin gap in my brain that needs some kind of medication, but on top of that, I'm also beating myself up because God doesn't love me. Yeah. Either because I didn't do enough. Right. I didn't do my I didn't mm -hmm. do my ministering last month. God is wanting to punish me now. Right. Uh, which is which is one of those things that I I try to go after quite a bit. I don't believe God punishes. Right. I, I believe God loves us enough. I don't punish as a parent. Yeah. And I'm quick to forgive. I don't think a perfect parent does that. God doesn't punish. Yeah. Now sometimes he allows consequences of our actions to play out. But this is a God that is anxious to hear us. And if you're not sure, go back and read Moses 7. <laughs> that, that we have a God who weeps with us. Yes. That doesn't want to flog us every time we do something wrong. Right. And we would never want anyone to think that uh, if you just read the scriptures and pray, oh, yeah. that this will cure all of your problems. But I will say that as, as far as gospel principles are concerned for me, I... I do think that faith, as it says in the book of Romans, faith comes from hearing the word of God. And I know for myself, when I'm immersed in the scriptures, when I'm immersed in listening to the words of the living prophets, and if that's how I start my day, right. it's often a great beginning for me to fortify faith. Are there any other things like that, prayer you know, practices that you have come across that can be helpful? Well, before I do, can I just work, yeah. mention something off of what you just said? One of my favorite uh, verses is in uh, Romans seven. Okay, where where Paul where Paul is going to say, "I know what I should do, but I don't do it." <laughs> I, <laughs> that sounds like me every day. <laughs> I know what I want to do, but for whatever reason, I'm not able to do it. And and he and he mourns a bit that he's not able to do everything that he'd like to do. But then we then Romans seven rolls from that to Romans eight, yeah. which is nothing is going to separate us from the love of God. I mean, he just. It goes from I'm just a dude struggling right. <laughs> every day to try and, and handle things. So, okay. Um, but anyway, to, to your to your question then yeah. about what do you do? Yeah. Um, it, it, I don't know what your experience is, but it's, it's sure amazing to me when I start talking to people that are struggling with depression or anxiety or something like that, and we start talking about really basic kind of things. Are you working out? <laughs> you know, are you getting some exercise? Yeah. What are you eating these days? You know, is your weight going up? Is your, are you isolating from people? Or are you getting out? Are you, mm -hmm. and sometimes, sometimes we've got to start with very, very basic. I mean, even just being outdoors and getting some yeah. of that good vitamin D is, can be helpful, right? You know, or you're, you, you just find yourself too involved in a lot of things. And, and uh, I think both you and I both probably spend a lot of time, sometimes as therapist, sometimes as life coach. Right. <clears throat> trying to just keep people get people to start living a healthier lifestyle mm -hmm. and and then surprise surprise I've, I'm, I'm eating better and maybe I'm a little I'm, I'm actually sleeping more that's another big one that, right? oh man if, if I'm not sleeping I'm in trouble yeah and I know many of our people that we see are just not getting enough sleep I what role does gratitude play I, I found that there's some great help with a gratitude, it really is in a lot of ways, life to me is what you choose to focus on, you know, and if we focus on what's missing or what we don't have, uh, if we focus on what's wrong, instead of focusing on our blessings or what's good or what's helpful or what's right, 
I don't know, Kevin, have you, have you had any experience with helping people focus on their blessings and gratitude? It's a great time of year to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're, we're recording this Thanksgiving week. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one of those areas that I think is a specific place for that is uh, sometimes some of our struggle and anxiety comes from our relationship with other people. Yeah. And so as Christians, we say, well, we should be forgiving of people that have done something or we should be. And, and, and one of the things that I find is that, and this goes back to some research coming out of Stanford uh, with Dr. Keitner there, where he talks about the fact that uh, forgiveness, believe it or not, is actually the last stage of grief. Wow. That wow. If, if somebody is not at peace, oftentimes it's because they haven't forgiven some injustice that's happened in their life. Yeah. And if they have not yet forgiven, it's because they haven't completely fully grieved. And so what they do, Mark, is they go from a, when we're grieving, we tell a grieving story. I've lost my spouse. I, you know, I had a divorce. My husband left House me. House burned down. Whatever, Something. Yeah. I tell a grieving story. But one of the things I watch is people begin to progress from grieving story from grief start moving towards forgiveness you start listening to a gratitude story start to emerge right my house burned down but the ward was there for me right you know um i i lost my spouse uh but i've been grateful to hear the stories about my spouse you know or oh, the, i think of president nelson and that gratitude message he gave for the world of i i lost my spouse and two children I can focus on that loss or I could focus on yeah. the incredible time that we had together. Right. And there was a period of time when, when Russell Nelson needed to grieve the loss. Right. Rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to bounce back and uh, <laughs> let's go see a funny movie tomorrow, to, 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 yeah. tomorrow right? <laughs> so there's going to be that grieving process and we should grieve. And if we don't grieve, we pay a big, I believe we pay a psychic and physical price. Sure. But gratitude leads us out of that hole. Yeah. And it comes naturally if we allow it to happen. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I think service to others is another helpful thing, getting yeah. outside of ourself. There are just a lot of wonderful gospel principles that can be helpful. And we're not saying, once again, that those are a replacement for professional mental health. But there are some things that the average Latter-day Saint can do to help pull them out of some anxiety. Yeah. Well, Kevin, uh, LDS missionaries often Ooh. come home early, right? Yeah. Uh, not not all of them, right? But there is a percentage that are coming home early these days. According to one uh, survey that done by Utah Valley University, 36% of these missionaries are coming home due to mental health issues. And uh, we would assume that most of those mental health issues would be anxiety and depression. See, I, and I, I think that's low, Mark. Yeah. I, I, and I think you might agree with me in, in your calling. Right. That uh, I, I, I think it's... Some of the studies I've seen says closer to 50% of them, those coming home early. Are, are mental health issues, yeah, right? right? Yeah. Right. Well, the question is, is how do we better equip our, you know, you and I were kind of talking about young single adult, that young single adult age that seems so vulnerable to anxiety these days. But these missionaries, these young single yeah. adults, these college-age students, is there anything parents can do to better equip their children for the rigors of life, for the rigors of a mission. Yeah. In fact, Kevin, you and I wrote a book on this topic a few we years ago. We sort of did, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you wrote this chapter, if I remember <laughs> I right. I did, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, at, at the time that we were preparing that, you and I interviewed a uh, uh, recently returned mission president. 
Yeah, we did. And we picked his brain a little bit. I just I just recently on this last trip I was on, I had to had another mission president and I asked him. Uh, and he, he was he was really kind of funny uh, in that he said, uh, first of all, I wouldn't send him out at 18. Yeah, <laughs> he said, wow. Uh, he, says, uh, buy, he says, some are ready to go at 18, but there's an awful lot of them that should go out later because they need to be away from home. They need to have experiences. Uh, he says, if they're... If they're if there's if they're 18 and they've just barely graduated from high school and they're immediately put in their mission papers and they've never lived away from home, that's a, that's a worry for him. Some are going to do it, but a lot just are not equipped. And it has become a cultural thing in our church yeah, where is. our young men are feeling like, okay, the day that I turn 18, I need to start filling out my mission papers. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when I meet one every now and then, that says, I think I'm going to go to a year of school, but they almost say that in a guilty way. I do. Like, I guess I'm the black sheep for doing this, but I, I see a lot of value in that. Well, especially if you're not sure. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes uh, I've had I've had just a, a couple uh, just lately that uh, actually we opted for a service mission yeah. for them because I thought that was a better choice. Sure. Um, the other one, and... and you, you may want to edit this this part out later, but <laughs> I'll just I'll just throw it out here. Um, has a lot to do with uh, pornography and addiction, yeah, um, and the anxiety and and self loathing that that creates in a young man getting ready to go out on a mission. Sure. And I'm finding more and more bishops and stake presidents that are saying, "I'm not going to need six months clean or or something like that. What we're going to do is, if you're striving and you're struggling, we're going to get you out." Yeah. If, if every other aspect of your life is driving and faithful and stuff like that, and you're struggling a bit with an addiction, we're going to get you out sooner rather than later. Yeah. And they're they're out there serving great missions. Yeah. Uh, but the problem with the addiction stuff is that when we have made it a capital S sin, yeah, and we made it a criminal act, right? Now they see themselves not so much as a good guy who has uh, a, a habit, an addiction that they struggle with. Now they see themselves as really sinful, and they can't stop this. Now thing. they're wearing a scarlet letter. Yeah, so and speak. and so that may come dressed as it may be the addiction thing, but it's coming dressed as depression or anxiety. Yeah, I've got anxiety, so I probably need and, to go and when you really get to the bottom of it, it's really not that. It really is. Yeah, it's, a, it's easier to have anxiety out there than to say I've got an addiction that's still kicking my tail a bit. Yeah. Is there anything, you know, as you think specifically about what parents can do to prepare their children for this adult life? Are there anything, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. There, there is, uh, um, in uh, the Parenting the Strong-Willed Child that I wrote uh, a number of years ago, we talked a lot about different parenting styles, yeah. about how we, the way that we parent. Uh, and when and what we found is that authoritarian top-down parenting, where the parents make all the rules, up to the point the kid actually leaves home at 18, the kid never learns how to be able to look at a problem, solve it, fix it. Right. And and the more effective uh, young adults seem to come from homes that are more collaborative in style. Right. Which is they're going to sit down with their child and say, what is it? What what should the rule be? Yeah. What should the consequences be if those rules are broken? And then when it actually, when there is a breakdown, then we come back and say, okay, what did we miss? What would we do differently? And if you think about in you and I's daily life, about what we do, whether it's in work or our home or whatever, this is the problem-solving steps we go through. 
here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. When it doesn't work, okay, let's go back and try and fix it. What could we change? What should we tweak? And then we learn from those experiences. Kids need to have collaborative parents who are going to say, you're struggling with your, with this or that. Okay, what should the rule be? How do we, how do we enforce it? What should the consequences be? And then later on, did it work? What needs to be changing? Right. So it's a collaborative problem-solving process. I love that idea of, of teaching our uh, young people how to solve problems and yeah. working with them on that. Uh, I mean, there, there's a whole range of <clears throat> things I think that we can be teaching our children from from helping them solve problems, to be disciplined, mm -hmm. to learn to be disciplined, to, to learn to work, and to maybe put their problems in perspective, you know, to some degree. When that door slams on your face in the mission field that first uh, day that you're out there, it's not it's not the end of the world, right? No, and they have the ability then to, to then say, okay, what did I do? What would I do differently? Maybe yeah. there wasn't anything I could have done differently. Right. But if I've never gone through that exercise of trying to say, there's a problem here, or I can't get along with my companion. Yeah. What can I do differently? What do I need to change? What's not working? Let me try this. Let's see how that works. Yeah. If they've never had that experience, yeah. uh, their closest experience they've had is that, is having their wingman on a, a their nightly gaming online gaming gang, and all they're gonna do is just block him because he's driving him nuts. But now you got to live with the guy for twenty four hours a day. Right. Um, if they never had that experience, uh, then they they might need to go to school first, where they have roommates and they get along, and mom isn't there immediately to come to, to, solve, to solve that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Kevin, this has been awesome. I always love talking to you. Uh, uh, your final thought here, and I know that you're so strong on this, and this is what, one of the things I love about you is is turning people to the Savior. What do you want to say about that in terms of, you know, anxiety and struggling with anxiety? How do you do that? How do you get people to turn to Christ on this one? Yeah, that well, or, what, or what can he do? What yeah, do you, what yeah. Do you see there? Well, yeah, because again, it's it's amazing how often we end up having discussions about the atonement in my office around issues like depression and anxiety yeah is just because we simply understand we misunderstand the process we we misunderstand that like, like i said before that the savior is there not for us to walk towards him but he's here to walk alongside us while we while we change and transform well if we feel like if our if our gospel training or what we think we heard in church or what we heard growing up all points us to the fact that uh, there's going to be heavy consequences every time that we that we struggle in the gospel, or that we're never enough, uh, or that somehow we somehow have to earn the Savior's love. I mean, if you woke up with with if every morning you woke up with Jamie and says, "What do I need to do today to earn her love?" <laughs> right. That's a, that's a struggle. <laughs> sure, you bet. <laughs> when if you wake up every morning grateful that you have somebody that that loves you. And now you're going to try and do a little better because you know that she loves you. Right. That's a totally different yeah. proposition. But I'm amazed in our in our church today, and maybe it's part of our uh, culture going back even to the Middle Ages. How many of our of our good Latter Day Saints still believe they have to earn the Savior's love? Otherwise, they're not going to they're going to wake on Judgment Day. Suddenly, the gavel comes down. And they missed it by two points. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're in the terrestrial kingdom forever. Right. Separated from their family. And that'll keep them up at night. Yeah. Oh, that sure will. I, 
Well, I know, and I know you do too, that the, there's great power and strength that comes from the atonement that can give us uh, the ability to work our way through these, uh, these challenges with anxiety and depression. And we've seen it. We've seen it in the life of many of the pe- lives of the people that we've worked with. And, and uh, there is great support and strength. The Savior wants to heal us, and He wants to help us. Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for flying all the way <laughs> just for this. Here, just for this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so good to be with you. You know, the theme of our, uh, our podcast is to, to let's do something. Let's do something. Let's uh, LDS, great acronym, right? For, let's, for let's do something. something. I, I haven't heard that. I yeah. And so I, I, I like the idea. We love the idea of, of leaving an invitation, you know, with the people. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave one, Kevin. And if you feel kind of inspired to leave something, I maybe try not to make it too specific. But the invitation I would leave is hopefully you felt prompted. You've had some thoughts as we've talked about this uh, topic today that uh, we would encourage you to follow and act upon what you've been thinking about, what's uh, touched your heart, what's uh, impacted your mind as we've gone through this uh, this episode. Kevin, any, any thoughts on an invitation for someone? No, I, boy, I, I like that idea that, that says at those moments, if we can be uh, moments that we are at peace, that our minds at rest, and we get that inspiration and guidance to say, this is what you need to do, or this is how you handle things, um, then I think trying to have the courage to then act on that act on that inspiration Right. Rather than run from, I'm going to have to do something uncomfortable, like I've got to call up Dr. Ogletree and, <laughs> and, and, and actually sit down with him. Um, then I think we're missing something. But I, I, I agree with you. Our, our invitation would be to listen to the spirit and then guide it to kind of improve your mental health, whatever needs to happen. Take, there. Yeah, take the steps exactly that, you're, that you feel prompted to take. Well, everyone... Thank you so much for being with us on this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a wonderful, awesome week.